All right. I really struggled this week with the text. Um, I couldn't find the thread. Uh, when I try to prepare a sermon or when I prepare to preach or teach, I always try to find the thread that ties the whole text together. Um, I usually try to get down to one single word. Uh, and that helps me remember what the whole point of the text is. And I, I really had a hard time finding it this week. Finally, late Thursday night, I saw it. And uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit says it four times in the text. It only took me four or five days to find it. So, yeah, you're probably paying me too much. But it was, it was so obvious. It was, there, it was there the whole time. You know, at first thought, as I read the text, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth time, I just said, well, these are disconnected uh, exhortations, disconnected uh, commands. But that's not true. The Holy Spirit uh, put, put the tie in there. So in five verses, he mentions it four times. Some of you probably have already picked up on it. Um, so what is that thread? Anyone? Did anyone hear it? Did anyone see it in the text? Four times in five verses. The Lord's name is mentioned four times. Four times in five verses. Verses. It's the same thread that holds the whole Bible together. It's the same thread that holds all of life and eternity and creation together. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. The Lord. The Lord. We can stand firm because of the Lord. That's what He calls us to tonight. We can live in harmony because of the Lord. We can be peacemakers because of the Lord. We can rejoice always because of the Lord. We can forbear with all men because of the Lord. We can be anxious for nothing because of the Lord. Amen. Good job. Who? The Lord. Amen. We can do these things because of the Lord. He's God. Amen. Our God is God. We know there are a lot of pretenders in the world. Behind every bush is another pretender. Our God is God. And I just I, I work this in whenever I can. Those of you who've been around for a while, you've heard me do this before. But I always love to go to those, those beautiful chapters in Isaiah, chapter 40 to 46. It's in those chapters, God says, I'm God and nobody else is, right? And I love it when my Father talks like this. So God is the tie that binds this text. So I'm going to stop and just talk about Him for a few minutes. This is just worship provoking. I want you to just listen. If you're a Christian tonight, this is your Father. If you're not a Christian tonight, this is your judge. So listen to what God says about Himself. To whom then will you liken Me that I should be His equal? Says the Lord. I am God, and there is no one who can deliver out of My hand. I act, and who can reverse it? I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides Me, there is no God. Before Me there was no God, and there will be none after Me. 
There is no Savior besides Me. I am God and there is no one like Me. The nations are nothing before Me. I sit above the vault of the earth. I am the everlasting God. There is no other. I am the first and I am the last. There is no one like Me. I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all My good pleasure. Amen? Amen. That's our Father. That's our Father. Our God is God. And there is no other. I love it. He says it multiple times in Isaiah. He says there's nobody like Me. And everybody that's a Christian in here tonight can testify to that fact. There is nobody. There is nobody like Him. He is I Am. He is Jehovah. He is Elohim. He is Adonai. He is El Shaddai. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is Jesus Christ. Amen? The living God. The God who effortlessly spoke a hundred billion galaxies into existence. He's our Father. He's our Redeemer. Before Him, angels, devils, demons, presidents, popes, kings, and all other men are but... Remember what Isaiah says? They, they are but grasshoppers. They are but grasshoppers before this awesome God. David said it perfectly. First Chronicles 29... David says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, Thine is uh, the dominion, O Lord, and Thou dost exalt Thyself as head over all and dost rule over all. You remember the words of Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20. O Lord, Thou art God in heaven. Thou art ruler over all kingdoms and nations. Power and might are in Thy hand so that no one can stand against Thee. You may remember the, the words of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar confesses, For God's dominion is everlasting dominion. He does, he does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can stay His hand. You remember Job's confession, Job 23. Whatever God's soul desires, He does. Job 42. No purpose of God's can be thwarted. Psalm uh, 115, the psalmist says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Man, when I read texts like this, I just have to get on my face and worship this awesome God. We can be radical Christians because of the Lord. Because He's God and nobody else is. Nobody else is, beloved. You can radically go with Him. You can radically obey Him. He's God, and no one can stay His hand. And there are none like Him. There are none like Him. He is the irrepressible, uncontrollable, unmanageable, untamable, awesome God. So I'm going to challenge you tonight to go with your awesome God. We can do Philippians 4, 1 through 5. We can do everything God says in there because of the Lord. You can live your Christian life huge because of the Lord. You know, I know many of us, we look in the mirror and we say, well, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do that. Wrong. If God's calling you to do it, He will empower you to do it. 
He's God. And there's no one like Him. He's God. He alone is God. There is no other, beloved. There is no other. Friday morning, I usually start to write on Friday morning. And uh, I, I woke up and, and Daniel 11.32 was in my head. I didn't even know where the text was. I, I said, Karen, do you know where this text is? i got to find this text. It's in my head. I knew the text, but I couldn't remember where it was. Daniel says, the people who know their God will do what? Does anybody remember? Pardon me? Well, excellent. I love that word, exploits. Will do exploits. Now, the NAS, uh, the Bible I preach from, it says, the people who know their God will display strength and they will take action. That's you, right? That's you. When you're out in the world. Right? You draw your strength down from El Shaddai and you take action. Right? Amen? You take action. That's what real Christians do. I was thinking about that verse. We can do these things. We can do exploits. Is it Jeremy? Jeremy. As Jeremy said, we can do exploits because our God is God. It's Hebrews 11 again. We talk about it all the time. It's men and women displaying strength and doing exploits, taking action. Isaiah 40, 31, right in the middle of all those huge God verses I just shared with you. Listen to what God says. Right in the middle of God declaring His Godness. Listen to what He says. Isaiah 40, 31. God says, Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Beloved, I'm going to call you to do Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5 tonight, and you can do it. Everything God calls us to do there, and everything else God calls us to do in His Word, because our God is God. Our God is God. The last few weeks, the Apostle Paul has been exhorting us to press on. Pressing on in our sanctification. Pressing on toward the golden shore, which is heaven, of course. It's what aliens and strangers and exiles and pilgrims do. We are, as we've been saying the last couple of weeks, we are pilgrims progressing. We're not yeah, sitting around staring at our navels and singing Kumbaya, we are pilgrims progressing, right? We're on, we're on the heels of Christ. We're on our way to the celestial city. Because Philippians 1.21 is, is true. Who remembers what Philippians 1.21 says? I say it every sermon since we've been in Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's true, beloved. Let me ask you, is it true for you in your life? To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I watched your life for the last 12 months, would I read that off your life? Would I be able to say, yeah, in that person's life, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I can see it. I hear it coming off their tongue. I see it in their hands. I see it in their feet as they do the work of God. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Love that verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Did you notice he starts chapter 4 with the word therefore. Anytime you see that word, you have to go back and understand, understand why it's there. Therefore what? Well, therefore what the Holy Spirit said 
uh, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Because the things that are listed there in 20 and 21 are true, therefore, we can do. We can do Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. In light of the fact that we are already citizens of heaven, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon, uh, to receive us unto Himself in light of the fact that when we see Him, we shall be like Him. We don't understand the fullness of what that means. We talked a lot about it last week. We don't really understand the fullness of what that means. We just simply worship at it. The text says that we will be transformed into conformity with the body of the glory of God. I don't know what that means, so I don't elaborate on it. I do worship and accept it. In some beautiful and mysterious way, we're caught up into the joy and glory of the Godhead. John chapter 17. Because we are chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4. And He's gone to prepare a place for us that we might return, uh, that He might return for us and that we might be with Him. John 14. Because our God is God. We can do Philippians 4, 1 through 5. That's what the therefore is there for. God says, hey, therefore, these things are true, verse 20 and 21. Therefore, I want, this is how I want you to live. I want you to live like a son of God. I want you to live like a daughter of God. I want you to stand firm. I don't want you to blow in the breeze like most people in the world. I want you to stand firm. That's what the Lord is exhorting us to do tonight as Christians. And again, I want to remind you, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about being sinless. We understand what the Bible teaches. Uh, no Christian ever attains sinless perfection. We understand that. But I am calling you to direction. I'm reminding you that you are a citizen of heaven and I'm calling you to stand firm in the Lord. Yeah, no more... No more lukewarm religion, right? No more lukewarm Christianity. From, from this night forward, you stand firm in the Lord. You press on with Christ. You be a radical Christian in this fallen world. You go out there and be used of God to convert the lost. This is what the Lord is calling us to. He says, stand firm. It made me think of Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Jesus says that my, my people have an unassailable steadfastness. Why is that true? Let me just read to you from Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Remember what Jesus said? He says, Everyone who hears my words and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and burst against that house, yet it did not fall. Why did it not fall? Because it was built upon the Word of God. It was built upon the rock. Amen? It was built upon the rock. The Christian builds his life upon the rock of the Word or upon the Word of the rock. Right? We can say it either way. We stand firm because... Our God is God. He's the rock. It made me think I had to just go back. You remember how many times the psalmists talk about this. Okay, so I just, want you to, I just want you to sit back and listen. I want you to listen what God says about Himself in the psalms now. Okay? Listen to how the psalmists talk about Him. The Lord is my rock. 
You can stand firm. I know it's hard to stand firm out there. I know you're ridiculed. I know you're persecuted. I know you're made fun of. I know people roll their eyes at you. I know all those things are true. But Jesus says He calls His people to stand and be Christians. Beloved, will you be a Christian? That's, that's the point tonight. Will you be a Christian out in the world? Will you really be a Christian? I know it's easy to be a Christian in here. But will you be a Christian out there? God says, stand firm. Listen, listen to the psalmist. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. You are my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Who is a rock except our God? O Lord, You are my rock and my redeemer. To You, O Lord, I call my rock. You are my rock of strength, a stronghold. God is my rock and my salvation. The Most High God is our rock. God is the rock of my refuge. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Do you get it? You can stand firm in this world, beloved. Your God is the rock. Are you standing on Him? Are you standing on Him? You can stand firm in the Lord. He's not asking you to do something on your own. He says, stand firm in Me. I'm the rock. Amen? Made me think of Psalm 71.3. I love this. Be thou, be thou to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. Some of you will remember I really got off on the message translation of Psalm 71. I love how Eugene Peterson says it. He says that God is our vast granite fortress. Don't you love that? He is our vast granite fortress. It doesn't matter how big the storm is, right? doesn't matter. He is our vast granite fortress. It doesn't mean that we don't have hard times. It doesn't mean that we don't have painful trials. It doesn't mean that we don't suffer in this world. But what that means is that none of those things can blow us over, right? We don't get blown over. I'm not saying we don't struggle. But we do not get blown over. We stand on the rock. We stand on the Lord. It's a command. God says tonight to you and to me, stand firm in me. It's a command, beloved. It's the command of God. And He's given us the power to do it. We have all that we need. You remember what God says over in Colossians chapter 1, 10 and 11. Listen to what the Lord says. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Are you, beloved? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. Listen to this. Strengthened with all power according to His glory. Right? According to His glorious might. God's not asking you to do something on your own. He's saying, draw all the power down that you need from Me. I am El Shaddai. Draw it down from Me. God will give you everything you need to stand firm in this world. He'll give you everything you need. When the trial comes, when the suffering comes, when the persecution comes, when the anxiety comes, when the fear comes, when uh, the worry comes, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, when the storm comes, we don't succumb to the storm. We don't succumb to fear and anxiety. We stand on the rock. Verse 2 and 3 of Philippians chapter 4. I urge Yodia and I urge Sintika to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women 
who have shared my struggle in the cause of the Gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says, live in harmony. How? How does he tell us to live in harmony? Someone tell me from the text. How are we supposed to live in harmony? We know human beings aren't very good at this. Even regenerate human beings aren't very good at this. But how are we supposed to do it? Someone tell me from the text. In the Lord. You're supposed to live in harmony. In the Lord. This is how... This is what the Lord says to us. I looked up the word harmony. I didn't like the, the first definition. It just says the, it, 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 it said the lack of conflict. I don't like negative definitions. It's not simply the lack of conflict. Yes, it is the lack of conflict. But I went to the next definition and it says a pleasing combination of diverse elements and I thought of you. That's what ICM is, right? A pleasing combination of diverse elements. We've had 64 nations through this church in seven years. I love it. I love it. I love the diversity. Do you not love that diversity? Isn't it, isn't, it like, isn't it a little bit like heaven? I mean, I love it. I don't know if I could ever go back to America. Okay, I'll have to take that off the tape because my mom will hear it. I don't know if I could ever go back. I love it. I love being brothers and sisters and fellowshipping with you know, people from Asia and Africa and South America and in the Middle East and all over Europe. And I love it. Do you not love it? Yes. How can you not love it? It's awesome. I, I just love that. Harmony. Man, we've got to live in harmony, right? If we don't live in harmony, I mean, if we, if we can't get along with someone different than us, we'll have three people here. I mean, you know, we, we really need to do what the Lord is saying to us. Tonight, and he's talking about these two women. They've got some kind of dispute going on. We know it's not about biblical truth. How do we know? How come we know it's not about biblical truth? If it were about biblical truth, Paul would simply set the record straight. He would simply say, one of you is right, one of you is wrong. But Paul doesn't say that. And we understand, reading our Bibles and down through the history of the church, from our own experiences in the church, that God's word does divide. Some people don't really want to know what God says. They call themselves Christians, but they really don't like the Bible. They really don't like the God of the Bible. They really don't want to hear the Word of God. They've got a cartoon God they've made up, a cartoon Jesus, and they like Him better. Right? And so we know. We know that... Uh, the Word divides sometimes because some people simply do not want to hear the truth. They would prefer an edited or amended Gospel, which, which we've been talking a lot about in the last few weeks. So we know all we need to know about the dispute between these two women. It's not about truth. So we know all we need to know. It's about sin. There's sin here somewhere. Anytime there's discord or disunity or disharmony in the church, you can mark it down. There's sin somewhere. We know that Satan does attack the church from the outside, right? But oh, he loves to attack the church from the inside. When he can get the people of God disputing and being in contention and being in strife, how he loves that. And we can be sure when that's happening that self-interest is taking the place of Christ's interest. Amen? Self-interest has taken the place of Christ's 
interests. Pride has entered in. Sin has entered in. And normally an ample supply of self-righteousness has entered in. But Paul says, I want you two women to live in harmony. How serious is this, is this in God's eyes? I, I, I was reading MacArthur, his commentary on this text, and I have to share this with you. He paints this picture, okay? So, oh, the church is very excited. There's a letter from the Apostle Paul. It's just come in. The elders are going to read it on Sunday, right? They're so excited. And so, the, one of the elders is reading the letter from, from Paul to the church of Philippi, right? And, and these two women are sitting there and they're going, yeah, that's great. Amen. Uh-huh. I believe that. Bam! God says, Eudea, Sintika, live in harmony. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know, they're so excited. It's a fresh word from God. Boom! God calls them by name. This is how serious it is, beloved. This is how serious it is. He says, live in harmony. How? How do we do it? In the Lord. If you want to pick a fight with somebody in the church, you go talk to Jesus about it first, and then we'll see what, how much fight you got left in you. We live in harmony. We live in harmony in the Lord. You remember, I think these ladies are probably, before they even get to chapter 5, I think they're already under conviction. You remember what, you remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3? Listen, Paul says, do not. Uh, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Yeah, it's the God-approved discrimination. Now, how many of you know, some of you should remember this. God has given us license to discriminate. In what way? What did that text just say? Everyone else is more important than you. Right? So you can discriminate in this way. Everyone else in the church is more important than you. This is God's sanction. This is biblical discrimination. It's the only kind of discrimination that a Christian can engage in. Everyone else is more important than me. Listen to what the Lord says in Colossians 3, 12-15 regarding harmony in the church. Beloved, this is your job description in the church. Listen to this. It's beautiful. Colossians 3, 12-15. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. In verse 3, Paul instructs the true comrade. That's the way it's translated in the NAS. You'll see various translations. True comrade, companion, or yoke fellow. Many theologians believe that Paul's calling out a specific man. In fact, if you just don't translate the Greek, if you just leave it there, it's a, it's a name. Many conservative theologians believe that Paul's talking to a specific man. It doesn't really matter. He's probably one of the elders of the church. And Paul tells, he tells this man, he says, you go help these women. You help these women come together in harmony. 
You help these women. This is the, the admonition of Paul to this brother at the church. And look what he says. He says, he says along with Clement, I know these women. I've worked with these women. These women are, he's basically saying, these, these women are real Christians. I know it. Their, their, their names are written in the book of life. They're real. But somehow they've gotten off track. Somehow self-interest has gotten in the way. There's sin somewhere. And he says, go help these sisters. Get back together is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Go help them to live in harmony. He calls this brother to be a peacemaker. We know how God feels about peacemakers. What does he say in the Sermon on the Mount? You remember that great text. What does he say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be what? They shall be called the sons of God. Beloved, it doesn't get any more lofty than that. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker in the body? Are you a peacemaker? There's no higher call in the church than to be a peacemaker. And he calls this man to be a peacemaker. Verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Paul says, Stand firm in the Lord. He says, Live in harmony in the Lord. And then he says, rejoice in the Lord. If my math is correct, this will be the 12th and 13th time Paul has mentioned joy. I'm going to remind you, he's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. He's being slandered at large uh, in the church. And Caesar may chop his head off at any moment. And Paul just keeps talking about joy. Why is that so? Someone tell me. Why is it so? Because he's, yeah, he's consumed... His heart is full of the Lord. He just keeps talking about it. He can't stop talking about it. Obviously, his joy is not contingent upon circumstances. How many of you, how many of you would say your joy is contingent upon how the day went? Or how you were treated by your spouse, or how your kids behaved, or how the job went, or how the return on your investments, or this or that, or you whatever. I mean, how many of us joy, how many of us have our joy contingent upon circumstance? Paul says, no. My joy is bigger than circumstance. It transcends circumstance. My joy is I am. My joy is Jesus Christ. And you can't have it. You can put me in prison, but you can't have my joy. Amen? Beloved, I've said this to you before. How many of you give up your joy so easily over some minor inconvenience. How many of you give up your joy? God says, rejoice. It's a command, beloved. This is not optional. God says, rejoice always. How can we do it? In the Lord. In fact, I dare you to try and not rejoice always. If you really think hard about who God says He is. If you really think hard about what God has done in your behalf. If you really think hard about your inheritance to come. I dare you. I dare you not to rejoice always. If you'll think deeply about these things, I dare you to meditate on His breathtaking Godness. His breathtaking Godness. I dare you to, to meditate on your breathtaking redemption. I dare you to meditate on your breathtaking inheritance. It's true to live as Christ, to die as gain. I told you last week, when you start to feel yourself think like this, 
you know that you are maturing as a believer. When you start to feel this in your mind and in your heart, to live as Christ. If I'm going to live, man, I'm going I'm to make much of Christ. But to die would be very much better. Beloved, if we truly value Christ in the right way, this would be our confession. This is no morbid thing. Our life is in God's hands. Amen. He has ordained our days. Amen. We're not going to go one millisecond quicker than God has already ordained. To live is Christ. To die is gain. We allow circumstance to steal our joy. It's, it's the outside, you know, human joy is outside in, right? It has, something has to happen out here. So I'll feel joy in here. But Christian joy is not like that. Christian joy is what? It's inside out, right? It's inside out. It's what God is doing in, in here. And it bleeds into the rest of our life. This Greek word here translated for bearing here in verse 5 uh, in the NAS the Greek scholars tell us that it's very difficult to translate into one English word. It has quite a few meanings. I'm going to tell you all the meanings that these various scholars say it means. So he says, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. So this Greek word translated forbearing, these are some of the other meanings. It means contentment. It means reasonableness. It means gentleness. It means big-heartedness. It means generosity. It means friendliness. It means charitableness. It means mercy. It means patience. It means graciousness. It means humility. In essence, God is saying, you know, I say it to you all the time, it's not about you, right? That's what He's saying. It's not about you. It's about your brothers and sisters. It's about Christ first, and then it's about your brothers and sisters. You come in third, right? This is what the Lord is saying. You are not the center of the universe. Let every man be aware of your forbearing spirit, your gracious spirit, your, your humble spirit, your charitable spirit, your contented spirit. This is what the Lord is saying to us tonight. We are to be conspicuous in this. We are to be conspicuous in this. And I'm just going to close out. I'm going to mention very briefly here at the end of verse 5, the text says, the Lord is near. And I think Bill's translation said, the Lord is at hand. Mm -hmm. The Lord is at hand. Which kind of gives uh, uh, the sense of the Lord is, is to return soon. But there's several senses in which we could talk about the Lord being near. But the point I want to make, and I'm going to talk more about this next week because this, this, uh, this phrase, the Lord is near, it's the perfect bridge into verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Beloved, are you anxious for anything? Stop it! Your God is God. What are you anxious about? Like the Lord Jesus said, what are you worried about? Your God's God. Your God is God. And what I want to say to you tonight about this fact that the Lord is near, I want you to understand that the unapproachable God has approached you and me. Amen? What does the Bible say? He is the unapproachable fire. The holy consuming fire. But this unapproachable God has approached us. 
Beloved, if you can't worship about that, there's something, there's something, there's something awry in your biblical understanding if you can't worship about that. Yeah, that awesome God, He's in the manger. That awesome God is on the cross. I dare you not to rejoice always, Christian. I dare you. I dare you to try to not to rejoice always and meditate deeply on who He is and what He's done. Because He has drawn near to us, we can stand firm. Because He has drawn near to us, we can live in harmony. Because He has drawn near to us, we can be peacemakers. Because He has drawn near to us, we can rejoice always. Because He has drawn near to us, we can forbear with all men. I'm calling you tonight to go out into the world. It's really about the... I don't know, I preach the same sermon every week, right? God is awesome. Go live like it. I mean, really. I could just put that on my podcast site. Basta. That's it. That's our life, beloved. That's our life. That's our life. That's who we are as sons and daughters of, of the living God. So I'm going to close with Daniel 11.32. The people who know their God will display strength and they will take action. Our God is God. Beloved, go in the world and take action. Go take action. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. You know what Paul tells the Corinthians? He says, don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. So I always like to warn you, don't come to the table in some uh, unworthy manner. Okay? Don't come in an unworthy manner. If you have sin in your life and uh, you have no intention of repenting of that sin, I, I wouldn't come to the table tonight. I wouldn't come. I wouldn't come if you're going to do it in some uh, uh, ceremonial way. Some heart-dead, brain-dead way. I wouldn't come to the table. But if you're in awe of Christ, and you're in love of Christ, you're in love with Christ, and He's your Lord, and He's your Savior, and you just want to honor Him and remember what a beautiful, awesome God He is. And you want to rejoice in the shed blood of Jesus and the grace that He has given to you. If you want to do these things, come to the table. Come to the table and worship with us. We have open communion here. All who have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and followed Him in believers' baptism, you're welcome to come to the table. The way we do it is Kelvin will come and play a song. It'll last three or four minutes. Prepare your hearts during the song. And while the song is still playing, when you're ready, come up. Uh, take the elements, the bread and the cup. Go back to your seat. After the song is over, I'll stand and I'll read a text and then we'll partake of the elements. Okay? Prepare your heart to remember this awesome God, to worship this awesome God. Prepare your hearts to come to the table.